And I think curiosity is, is sort of that open mind and, and listening and, and slowing down and connecting different dots, offering new perspectives, being playful and joyful. So I think this is actually the moment that I'm realizing that I could say that that's a superpower. That was Pim Shark Shebel from Architect and Curiosity. And this is the Natural Born Thinkers podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Natural Born Thinkers, a podcast designed to help you live a more creative lifestyle. My name is Sam Hunter, and my job is to help people tap into their creative potential to solve their biggest individual and business challenges. I set up this podcast to reveal the secret source behind the creative thinking process and to provide a perspective on how we can live a life that enables us to more confidently draw upon our natural creativity. I believe that our minds are all uniquely wired to think differently and that the world depends on our diverse creative potential. In this podcast, I am chatting with the team from Architecting Curiosity an organization designed to help businesses and individuals live their most curious lives. The friends behind Architecting Curiosity include Pim Schachschebel, Monica Canfield-Lenfest, and a Natural Born Thinkers podcast favorite, Anthony Rocco. In our conversation, we cover a lot of ground, including a deep dive into Monica and Pim's personal background, the key principles of curiosity and how to practice them, as well as the ways in which you can engage with Architect and Curiosity offerings. Highlights of the discussion include the revelation that curiosity is a lifelong practice that can enable us to navigate times of uncertainty and help to create change both in our present and future state. It can be an intellectual act where we invite ourselves to ask and consider new questions. It can be a physical act as we challenge ourselves in new spaces and environments. It can be a mindful act as we take time to rest and create space to reflect on our thoughts, feelings and beliefs. Ultimately, curiosity is a superpower that is open to everyone. By assimilating the principles of curiosity into our lives, we have the tools to help unlock and flow gracefully through adventures we might never otherwise discover. Hello, Anthony, Monica, and Pim. Thanks so much for joining the Natural Born Fingers podcast today. It's really exciting to have you all on. Great to be here. Woo. Thanks, Sam. <laughs> Wait, well, there we go. Thank you, Sam. Today, yeah. but it happened. Okay, I love it. Ooh. Well, I, we, Anthony, we've been blessed to have you on the podcast before, but Monica and Pim, this is a first time for you. Uh, but the, the, the constant here is that the conversation is still about curiosity. Uh, but there are some differences because we can tackle this at a few different lenses now. One, because we have all three of you, all three uh, partners in this project together on the phone talking about your work at Architect and Curiosity. Uh, so I think we'll be able to really pick up on a different variety of conversation as we bring Monica and Pim, your experience into this and also take a bit of a teaming lens and the power of curiosity in teams. And I, I guess the second piece here is that I have now had the privilege of taking the architecting curiosity course so i had a great time great experiences through that i think one of the massive takeaways or one of the justifications i now have for doing anything that is a little bit curious is that it's good for me uh so for example let me caveat that uh the new j-lo documentary is out on netflix and my husband said no that that's not going to be a good watch let's let's not watch it and i'm like yeah but my curiosity got the better of me so as soon as he went to bed i stayed up late and i watched that um, 
<laughs> to following something that is of interest. So I um, definitely want to talk more about that because I know you have a big announcement uh, through this podcast that we'll build towards. So we'll definitely talk more about uh, your course as well and perhaps less so my experience on it, but um, really uh, give people an inside scoop. So that's it. That's it. We've got the three of you. We're going to take a teaming lens on Curiosity. We're going to deep dive more into Architect and Curiosity course and what you guys have in come up. Uh, so with that, I think, given that we have a short amount of time with you, should we just jump right into the questions and learn some more? Now, because I am such a good student, I thought we'd take a leaf out of your book for the first question to get this party started. And um, the first question I thought that would be fun to ask, obviously, um, I've just shared a little bit about what I'm curious about right now. But the question here, the leading question is for our guests to get a little bit to know a little bit more about you all is what are you curious about right now? So I don't know if I should start with ladies first and, and go Monica and what welcome to the podcast. What are you curious about right now? I am really curious about the natural world that is a sort of endless source of curiosity for me. Uh, and I have gotten really excited about owls recently. Um, I live out in the country and we actually have some owl boxes here. Uh, and so some evenings I get to see them, but more often I hear them. So I've been getting curious about the sounds, the different birds make and being able to identify them from their sound. Oh, cool. Well, so I guess having you on today is going to be a hoot. Uh, terrible oh. joke. Wow. <laughs> had to be made. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, At least um, you didn't start screeching. <laughs> I, I, there's still time for that. Um, yeah. And I guess, Anthony, what, do you want to follow with sure, that? Sure. I will dive in. Um, I was recently given a book called Inhabiting the Negative Space by Jenny O'Dell by a friend. Uh, halfway through, Jenny talks about drawing inspiration. And I'm curious right now, we might talk about this in our conversation about rest, obviously. There's a big piece and theme for me right now. Um, so Jenny drew inspiration. And I want to just kind of highlight one of the takeaways I took from this book, which is uh, from a Japanese farmer in the 70s that coined the term do nothing farming. And uh, the whole the whole idea was there was no machinery. He just walked around and like randomly scattered seeds and kind of showed through a, a longitudinal research study that his like fields did better than uh, kind of more labor intensive uh, farming. So this idea of do nothing farming and then applying that to, <laughs> to life in general. I, I like that. It kind of brings back the whole idea of, I guess, leave, you know, what is it? You grow a crop, seed, and then leave one fallow. So, you know, but we, we don't tend to do that in life. There's, it's always going all off at the same time. So definitely looking forward to talking more about that and more about rest and the power of that as we get through here. Um, Pim, what are you curious about right now? I mean, so many things come up, but I, um, I did a uh, multi-pitch climbing course this weekend, which basically means uh, I, went, I went climbing in Belgium um, and you go higher than normal, just higher than one rope length. And... I was very curious how my my body sort of reacted to the fear of height and how I'm able to perceive heights. So there's a certain point where 
you don't really know how high you are anymore. Um, but there's also certain points where your body just starts, you know, reacting to uh, the natural environment. And yeah, I'm, I'm trying to sort of like research a little bit more about it. Is, is it the fear of death or is it the fear of the unknown of falling or um, yeah, w what happens? Um, and <laughs> one of the students shared a mantra that that we are too stupid to be fearful. So I was just saying that to myself, <laughs> just to try not to have any fear on the wall. Um, so that's what I'm, I'm currently curious about. Oh, I really love that. There's a, it's um, obviously, I guess you guys have probably all seen Wim Hof stuff and helping people freeze the fear and the breathing work. And it is true, like that they say that life begins at the edge of your comfort zone because you start asking different questions or see different things. So just through that, we've got owls. We're learning about the power of resting fields and um, what happens in super high zones. So you can tell just from here, as you ask people that question, you learn a lot and there's a lot there. Um, but I don't want to stop it just there because last time, just to, we just need to level the playing field. Uh, I've had a whole chat with Anthony about his entire life and we learned a lot about him and his curiosity and what led to architect and curiosity. So I thought just for everybody who's listening to this to learn more about the full partnership of architect and curiosity that we do a little bit of a deep dive into Monica, your um, bio, as it were, and the same for you, Pim. Um, so Anthony, we will come back to you, but just for a little bit of a wrap up at the end. Does that sound okay? Uh, I get to rest, Sam. That sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> you get to rest. Awesome. Okay. Perfect. So I guess I'm I'm leading with the ladies first mantra again. So I guess Monica, I, I as I was preparing the questions, I thought it would be fun to start with yourself first. So I obviously my questions start with where I can find content on Google. So um, did some some research into both of you and uh, we'll just ask some basic questions and, and let you guys do most of the talking. So I'll take a leaf out of Anthony's book and rest. Um, so first question, I guess, Monica, would just be to start right at the beginning for you. So as we talk about, we're talking about curiosity and your journey into curiosity. Can you think of a moment right at the beginning of, of, your, of your time where this concept of curiosity really came to, to the front um, and maybe triggered your journey into where you are now? Like where might it all have started? Well, pointing back to my owl example, I would say that um, the natural world has always been an, an endless source of curiosity for me. I grew up uh, in Vermont, um, in the no northeastern part of the United States and was surrounded by seasons and different creatures and the leaves changing. And I'd say I remember the, these early moments of recognizing the things that I took for granted, like that the leaves turn yellow and orange and red on the hills on the, in the fall, that there would be like busloads of people that would drive through my town to come and stop and look at these leaves. And it was an early moment for me of just recognizing that the individual experience of what we notice or what we think of as is special, is so dependent on life experience and context, 
right? Like I was like, oh, well, no, it's just October. And so that's what the leaves look like. Like, what's the big deal? But then I would see these people that would just like be driving 15 miles per hour on a road going so slow and pulling over and taking photos at the hillside that I passed every day. And I think that that is a really, was a really early lesson for me of just how much we can learn from other people's perspectives of the world, of, of how we each see through our own eyes. Um, and, and that sort of led me away from the natural world and into more of like curiosity about humans, which um, is another realm that has just kept me very engaged. So you obviously grew up in an amazingly beautiful part of, of the country in the US. And then from childhood, you, I, I guess, I have to leap straight to what you put up on your website <laughs> um, to there for to going into becoming a teenager where you talk about there was a moment in your life where you felt as though the gift of personal evolution was opened up to you, which I guess is a very powerful concept and it, it gives a window into being curious. Are you open to sharing what that moment was and, and, and how that gift came to uh, come to you? Absolutely. Um, so when I was 17 years old, uh, one of my parents, my father, uh, came out to me as transgender and uh, informed me that um, that they were going to begin a transition to become a woman full time. And uh, in that experience for me, not only inspired my own, um, yeah, personal evolution, my, uh, uh, my understanding that at any point in your life, if there is a strong enough desire to change, that you can change, that that's a possibility to get that lesson at such a formative age was an incredible gift. Um, but then also in terms of my own curiosity, I realized that some of the limitations that we think are real in our lives, right? Like I'm a woman, that is reality. My dad, I thought was a man. I thought that was the reality, but the reality was actually that my dad was a transgender woman who had not yet transitioned. And so that experience of witnessing someone transition genders, which is we're, we're taught from such a young age is a strict, maybe there's two boxes, you're one or the other, you're born a certain way, right? There's all of these, these ways that we learn about gender, but seeing that there was this other way of engaging of this other way of being that the thing that I thought was a hundred percent true was actually not true made me see that getting curious about what is true or that what is true can change over time really cracked my world open completely. Um, it wasn't the easiest <laughs> at the time, you know, there's especially societally, there's a lot of transphobic people in the world and messages that we get about people varying from the norm. But the gift of my own curiosity was just to say, well, what's true about me? right? What's true about other people in my life that I might be taking for granted that is not actually reality. And that was a really amazing lesson that I got from my dad at a young age. It's a, a really powerful story. And I think one of the uh, pieces that you shared there is that getting curious about what people to perceive to be 
you know, black or white, you know, left or right, and starting to ask questions can enable you to move beyond perceived limitations or socially put in place limitations and and can in by asking a different question can invite you to move beyond into a new space and one of the things i've learned through this process is that we're not a dissimilar age so grew up in a in a similar time where i i think even more so the idea of sexuality was much more of a taboo subject than it is today and and it got me thinking that growing up during that time and just anyone growing up now one of the curiosities that I think all people will have that conversation with themselves at some point is to explore their sexuality. However, because of social pressures, norms or cultures, family expectations, people may not have the courage or be feel they're able to explore that curiosity as much as they may like. And that got me thinking of, of a question with it being an inquiry based question without leading too much on that is what, what do you think the impact of social pressures or expectations of others are on enabling someone to explore any type of curiosity they might have and then what does it take to to move beyond those beliefs and perceptions because as you as you shared with your own father's story and for yourself that can't have been easy so what did it take to to enable that yeah that's a great question sam you know i think that the the social pressure really shuts down our ability to imagine ourselves or or other realities right like I, I think even for myself, when I was, you know, 18, my dad was in the midst of this gender transition. I had always sort of questioned my own sexuality, uh, but I was in I was in a place where I was sort of processing so much about witnessing my own parents' transition that I didn't want to open that box up for myself, and so what it took was actually beginning to see that the value of exploring my own experience was greater than my fear of what I might find there. And I think that that's the, the so social pressure that gets in, inside of us is that fear of finding something that we maybe aren't aren't ready to share with the world or don't like even don't don't if we want something to be different than it is if society is saying well if if you are that way then it's bad or if you are that way your life is going to be harder in these ways then there's a lot of fear and so i think that the that curiosity is an incredible tool because it allows us just to acknowledge that maybe there's fear there, but it doesn't actually hurt to look. It doesn't hurt to get curious about what the reality is and to really explore beyond those fears. Mm. That That's super powerful. It just, I'm, I'm just thinking just as a parent, um, watching your child grow and you see particular things or behaviors, not necessarily related to sex, sexuality, of course, when, when they're very little, but you see things and you become fearful. Oh, might, might this be going in that direction? Might this happen? And that fear is based on other people's reactions. And to your point, if you don't move beyond it and, and invite new questions and your own perspective on it, you'll always be limited by what other people think. So I can 
I think this story and how you've shared this has a lot in there for people in terms of the value of inviting yourself and encouraging yourself to move beyond your fear and ask new questions will shine a new light on on opportunity beyond it. So thank you so much for sharing this story. And I, I know that from there, as you said, it started to invite you to ask different questions and explore your own self. And I think it gave you from my research, and, and you'll tell me a better story, is uh, you moved um, to San Francisco and there you became a queer activist, working hard to support other children who might be experiencing a parent going through a um, trans moving gender, uh, transitioning gender. And you also spent time working at a non-for-profit in the Bay Area to save the Bay. So um, definitely took an altruistic and um, very supportive community-based role in your, in your life. And then from there went into working at Healthy Minds Innovations, which seems to be more of a scientific organization. So a little bit of, of a switch. But could, can you talk a little bit about what you've learned from that experience and, and what it unlocked for you in the next stage of your journey? So going from working in these nonprofits to working at this Healthy Mind Innovation. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the common thread throughout is really... Uh, mission-driven work. Um, I've always been really called to create a better world in whatever that form that that looks like. And uh, Healthy Minds Innovation is really focused on uh, developing tools for people's greater well-being using using the tools of science to inform those tools. So it's it's still certainly related to. Um, you know, some of these like more social justice or environmental activist uh, endeavors. But I think for me, I have really found that personal growth and interpersonal relationships are really core piece to people having the capacity and resilience to to change the world. And, and that's really what drives me in my work with architecting curiosity as well is seeing that the, the powerful tool of curiosity or the powerful tool of mental well-being uh, of these practices that can help people have more agency and be more empowered to create the world that they want to see that we all need to work toward. Um, so I see them as really interconnected in, in my own career and my own life. Yeah, I, I really love that, actually. And as you explain it, like my next question was going to be, there's obviously a connection here. Can you can you illuminate that? And you, I having taken the course and been inviting myself to be more curious, I hadn't really made the linkage about using curiosity and and mindfulness as way of create um using curiosity to create that mindfulness and that space to think differently to to open up and make it much more expansive and be a lot more purposeful about then what do you do with that space creating change for your own self or given the work you do that the being mission driven and creating change for for others and and also for the world so that actually helps me with my next question, which is obviously you didn't just stop at the um, working with the scientific innovation organization, health innovation organization. You then went on a next phase of your journey to become a clairvoyant which I think is amazing. So I, I had I had put here from science to spirituality, but I, you've 
clearly corrected that in terms of it's moving from mindfulness to a different part of mindfulness. So can you share a little bit about that? What what took you in this direction? Because it's not a common direction that you hear everyone take every day. And and why did you take this direction? Yeah, so I it's it's fun that if you Google me, it seems like my clairvoyant work is very recent, but I actually didn't come out publicly with this work until the last couple of years. But I actually um, have always, always been drawn to um, spiritual practice and meditation. Um, and I discovered a school in San Francisco where I had the opportunity to train in clairvoyant training. Uh, and I have always been very intuitive and empathic and, uh, it's been a really powerful tool for me in really leveraging my own natural capacity to see and to feel energy and uh, really see other people uh, and to really offer it in a unique form of healing. So I see it as really connected also to the curiosity work because uh, my clairvoyance is just a way of getting curious about energy and seeing seeing people's truths. in a, in a different way. That's really interesting. So that's piqued my curiosity, I have to say, because you, you, I, I saw that you'd mentioned before and you've just shared again here that you felt that you've had these spiritual uh, tendencies from a very young age. And you've talked a lot here about reading energy and, and being able to see truth. So either in terms of whatever the, is the easiest way for you to respond to this, what, what can people do in their own life to help better understand their own energy or their own truths? So getting curious about that or so that we can live more spirit with more spiritual intent through our day. Or if it if that's tricky to answer from that lens, what are some of the questions you coach with to help people in your sessions get connected to this? Because I feel that the art of clairvoyancy can seem quite opaque to people or people don't know anything about it at all. I, I will put I will put my hand up there to be like, I'm, I'm not comfortable with this topic. I've not done it. I, I have a sense of what it could be, but I'm hearing you talk about it. I'd love to learn more so I could see how I could use that more in my day to day. That's such a good question, Sam. I would say that the coaching piece is, for me, is really encouraging people to ask themselves to understand more what is there in their own minds, in their own energy fields, if you will, Uh and really hone in on like, what are you curious about in within yourself? Like what's coming up for you? Like, where are you growing? Where are you changing? Where are your edges? What's really uncomfortable? And get curious about those places. And I'd say like in the context of the work that I do, it's really holding a container and holding up like my, my work is, I call it sacred mirrors healing. It's like holding up a mirror for folks to see more clearly what they already know. And so the the practice is really around is is really tied to curiosity of just getting clear on what is your own information about a given area in your life. 
That, no, that that helps a lot because as you were talking, I was thinking if you say we talked about at the very beginning of this that I've written a children's book. So go with me on this a second. So I have in if I hold a mirror up to myself, I've definitely been going in a very negative spiral in terms of it's not going to happen for me. I'm not going to get published. Um, and then this becomes the the mantra essentially that happens and that creates a very negative energy in terms of what I bring to the table and how I show, well, literally how I show up to the breakfast table in the morning. It's not a lot of fun for people. So then linking that to if I were to invite myself to ask a different question to be like, I've tried this, what else might I do to get published? What will happen if I do get published? Or what can I think about myself in the fact that I have managed to write a children's book? I created a very different energy of, of opportunity, which then will have a different, you know, I can then get curious about how that energy impacts other people rather than a negative spiel. So I don't know if that, if, exemplifies any somewhat what you're talking about but I think it's helpful for people to think not just about asking themselves questions about themselves but also the energy that gives off and the impact that will have on other people and getting curious about what would happen if they could change that is does that is that is there a correlation there or did I just make that up <laughs> yeah I guess the one thing I would add is um I would be I would be curious of what are the beliefs that you have that make you think that your book won't get published. Like what what is that? Like get curious about that area. And and that, you know, Sam, you you've taken our class, right? That I think ties very clearly to the principle of suspending, right? Like being temporarily open to the possibility of something new that what is it possible that that you could get published, but also seeing, well, what is that belief that you have that, that you won't? Mm. So it's, that's the one piece I would add of the, the, where, where the question, the line of questioning could go. And, and I think that almost brings us back to the beginning a little bit of where we started, which is this idea of belief of what are the deep beliefs that either the world has, or you have of yourself that you could challenge, right? Um, and being open and creating space to to challenge and get curious about what the another form of that could be. I know we've done a very whistle stop tour into your life, Monica, and I could probably have talked to you for a lot longer. But I I feel that th these were the core questions, and I didn't intend for it to go full circle. But I think that the idea of of belief and mindful spirituality, um, and its connectedness to curiosity has really come out here. And I guess just to summarise. Uh, conversation and getting to know you. If you were to summarize these experiences you shared with us as superpowers, what would you say they would be? And, and, and could you even create, if you wanted to, an archetype of yourself uh, and as your, on your role uh, as a partner at the Architecture and Curiosity Project? Well, the archetype that I identify with is the seer, as clairvoyant, but also just in the sort of who I am in the world and yeah, my superpower is my ability to see sort of beyond the reality that, um, that is, that is limited to what's right in front of us. Um, but there's a, there's an expansiveness to the way in which I, uh, get curious about 
the people in my life uh, and the world. I think that's wonderful, Monica. Thank you so much. Because I think we, I'm going to remember to see her. So we've got to see her. And now we're going to meet uh, someone completely different <laughs> and, and totally switch gears to, to, to Pim now. Uh, so, um, Pim, uh, this is where, when I, when you start researching you, then you start to get a better sense of where the word architecting might have come from. I'm not going to say that it did, but it might have come from, from your experiencing and architecting curiosity as, the the link I made, a very simple link I made, is that you studied architecture, architecture, engineering, and art at college. But my question for you is: this where your fascination with architecture and architecting began? Because I lived with architects and civil engineers at college, and I know from from talking with them and living with them and watching them that their love of building and design struck long before they they got to. Uh, walking through the doors at 18, 19 in college. So um, do you want to share a little bit about yourself and where the architecture piece came for you? Yes, I, I mean, I'd love to. Um, I, I think uh, in contrary to your friends, uh, my fascination didn't start that early. Um, I think that after I, I finished my high school, I really didn't know what I needed to do or what I wanted to do. Um, and I knew there were jobs or, or, or directions that I could go to, but I could almost see the rest of my life. It felt like a, a route that is, you know, pointed out towards a certain direction. And I think the only thing that I knew back then is that is something that I don't want. So I knew what I didn't want. I didn't just didn't know what I did want, want to do. Um, so I decided to uh, live in two different cities for each uh, six months, so in a year in total. Um, so I spent six months in London and six months in Vancouver. And in Vancouver, I tried all these different little courses in uh, a place called the Emily Carr Institute. So this was sort of like, just get to do little tasters. And when I do tasters... Um, yeah, I get to experience what, what I like and what I don't like. And I remember really well that I went to a presentation from an architect that is currently very famous all over the world, but back then he wasn't known so well, uh, called Bjarke Ingels. And he shared about architecture in such a beautiful way. Um, he, he was showing how the context of where he put the building in. So he, he wasn't really focusing on the building, but he was like, he was sharing a story about what happened, uh, in society and what happened in a specific neighborhood and how his architecture or the things that, that they designed as a firm would answer their, this specific question. And then he shared that in a beautiful story with a lot of, uh, playfulness. And I thought, wait. I didn't realize an architect could do all those things. I just thought it was building buildings, but apparently there's all these other elements and perspectives that um, you're allowed to bring into that job. Um, and that's the moment I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to study architecture because it feels like you're never uh, finished learning. And there's always more things that can, you can tie into it. Um, and that's, that's pretty much, uh, the moment I was like, okay, I know. And then only a year after that, I, I started studying architecture in uh, Delft. 
You mentioned um, that I think another one of your inspirations in architecture was Christopher Alexander, the late architect, uh, Christopher Alexander as well. And, and I think he had some key principles about arch how architecture impacts humans. And, and I was really interested in that too, just imagining myself as I walk through the street and the impact that an architect has decided that, you know, that might have on me or how that might shape the way I interact or my community interacts. Um, so I guess my, my question for you is, are there any principles that um, Christopher had or anything that you may have developed through the course of your career about how, you know, people like me walking down the street on a daily basis can think more consciously about the architecture around us and how it might shift our mood and thinking. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I came across Christopher Alexander in my studies. Um, and just for those that don't know him, uh, he's an architect and uh, was a professor at the University of California. Um, he sadly passed away, I think it was three months ago. Um, but he wrote a book uh, that had or is, is very influential still. It's almost like a, a timeless book. And it's called A Pattern Language. And he tried to find patterns in the environment and then create sort of a language around that pattern. And just to explain a little bit, you know, what, what is a pattern exactly? A pattern tries to explain uh, a situation or a problem that occurs over and over again. And that happens in our environment. And it describes the core to the solution of that problem, but it, it describes it in such way that you can use this solution a million times over and over again, but you're never doing it the same way. So for example, a pattern is we might have to cross a, a closed wall so that we need an opening. And an opening is, is, is a pattern of crossing something that is closed. And you can do this in so many ways. Um, this could be a door, it could be a window, um, and that, again, is another pattern. So he slowly in that book uh, describes this choose your own adventure of creating our environment in such way that whenever you uh, start designing, you will always come up with a different design. And I think that's the the inspiration or, or why I'm I'm so fascinated by him is not necessarily his, because he also developed some principles, but trying to look for something that is in the root, uh, that, that has a pattern all over the world, uh, cultural agnostic, um, but also something that is very timeless. So we can do it, we can use that pattern or that principle uh, over and over again, but we can also make it personal. In addition to being very passionate about architecture, you're very passionate about human behavior. So, where did this passion come from as well? And and what's, what is the correlation between the two? Did, did architecture trigger passion for human behavior? Did it, did it come through that? Like, what were your experiences that opened up this new, this new passion of human behavior? Yeah, it's an, uh, it's an amazing question. I think the, um, the, the experience that triggered me into this sort of like thinking um, was in a moment in my studies when um, for, for a minor, I was going to Malawi, which is in uh, the central, central Africa, um, to learn about the local architecture uh, and help construct uh, a school. And the way that my uh, 
class colleagues, uh, classmates were interacting specifically the men among themselves was very different than the men in my Delft university. Um, so we would, you know, hold hands and, and hug and sort of like be so much more, uh, physically close in a friendly way. And the first moment that I, um, I came in contact with such interaction, I, I noticed sort of a discomfort, um, because it was just very different than what I was used to. Um, even though, you know, I, I'm, I'm very comfortable with hugging my friends or, or being man affectionate. Um, but the way here was very different. Uh, and then I think in like two weeks, I was very similar. There was, there was sort of like a natural way of um, becoming part of that culture. So the way we would interact is, is, is very different. And then I got back home and I asked some of my friends, I was like, well, this was my experience, you know, should we, should we just try it out here? And even though we weren't uncomfortable with the action per se, the, the environment and the expectations from the people around us were so differently that just the action had a different meaning. Um, and I think this is, this is where I was like, oh, wait a minute, I'm not really free of the things that I do. There's so much sort of like happening around me that is influencing both by my behavior, my thoughts, the way that I interact with my friends. Um, and then I started thinking about, oh, so the buildings we create and the environment that we create is also influencing how we behave and how we interact. Like if you, if you look at a city where, you know, Amsterdam is a city full of bikes, we interact very differently with each other than a lot of the cities in the United States that are purely car based. So that is, that is the, the environment we create, creates sort of the experience we have as humans and also the behaviors that we then act on. Um, so, you know, and, 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 and to take that even further, there are some studies that show the speed of which a city moves, right? So, the, the speed of people walking on the sidewalks, they, they've measured that. And it's different in New York than it is here in a European city. So they can actually say, oh, this is this the speed? Then I'm sure we're watching a stream from a certain place. Is it double, um, the, double the pace in NYC to uh, anywhere else? <laughs> I, I don't think it's that bad. Um, yeah. And, and, and so it, it sort of goes on to, I don't know, maybe this is, other, this is also familiar or unfamiliar, but there's the broken window theory, where if you are in a neighborhood where your surrounding is uh, less beautiful or windows are broken, but this could look like garbage on the street or no green trees or whatever is in that current context seen as something that um, isn't as nice as it could be, then other people around that neighborhood or that building also start behaving differently. So if you see a garbage bag, you, you would also leave your garbage back there. Or if the windows are broken or houses are not painted, then other neighbors would also, uh, yeah, lack painting their houses. So even though we were not so aware of it, but the, yeah, as I said, the, the environment is really <laughs> influencing how we behave and, and therefore influencing how we actually experience life. So if that's the case, then we can also use it to our benefit because that's the beautiful key that it's not something that happens to us. Uh, it's something that we can, I mean, that it's also true. 
um, but it's also something we could use. I guess a small example of that, obviously, you, you, you're very well traveled and you've you've tasted lots of different uh, countries, cultures, experiences. And I, I guess I've done that a little bit, too. But even for people living in a, their day to day is going in a building, perhaps they're fearful of or haven't been to before or don't really want to go in and step inside it and get curious about what is the pattern and the practice that happens within that environment and what does what's the questions that that might open up for them or or encourage them to try and taste um to to get open up their curiosity not just through asking questions but by physically putting themselves somewhere completely different yeah i mean i i, I would always start with the very um with the basics which which is how do you know where to get in? Like, where's the door? But even not that, like I'm already giving you, like, how do you know where to get into a building? And how do you know that? What is that pattern? And then how do you know where to go to? Like when, once you're inside, like how do you orient? So what are, what are tricks or patterns that architects use or designers use to get you oriented in a building. And well, now it, you're starting yeah. to give us an inside scoop into your, to your, <laughs> like your mindset here a little bit, because I think we should mention that you are an award-winning architect of human experiences um, with your world-class escape room, for example, Sherlock, and also you have a dining experience organization. And, and my question for you is what are some of the go-to tools, techniques that you use to invite people to interact differently with one another and enable cultural and personal transformation, which I think you, you're giving us a little inside scoop into our inviting, challenging questions about where is the door? How do you orient? So I can, I'm getting a sense of where this question may take you, but I'd love to know um, some of those tools, techniques. Um, yeah, it's, it's uh, I think there's two tools that I, I try to go to. Um, or maybe three <laughs> main tools. Uh, <laughs> the first one is uh, is is the awareness of of storytelling and using the models that we that are out there in in terms of stories. And a really great example, I think, is is Kurt Vonnegut has. Um, if you just Google his name, uh, the shape of stories, and it's it's so incredibly simple. Um, person walks around in the forest, falls in a hole, gets out of the hole, end of the story, right? Person walks in front of the building, doesn't know where to get in, is desperate, suddenly finds the door and gets in. And even though this sounds ridiculous, you know, me sharing with you how to find the door, that's basically what we did with Sherlock. One of the break-in experiences, like, how do you get in the door? <laughs> right. So this, this, this is sort of the, the, the really basics of storytelling. And then you can get into more complicated uh, models, which is called the hero's journey. Um, and I would say the, the other tool um, that I try to use is what is something that is so so basic and so common that we all do. And is there something that we can redesign there? 
and and you mentioned the dining experience um we all have dinners every day so what are elements that we can actually change because i mean i i know the dining the, the dining experience is is different in a lot of cultures um but if you go to a restaurant the main thing that is different is the food the rest is you know we all have the, you know the plate there's a table there is an ambiance and and of course that has a different uh they have different colors but the the patterns are the same so can we change that pattern and you know if if you if you would look up the wild dining um that's something we changed we completely changed sort of the the way that you would go through um a a dinner you know the do you create yeah. a urinal environment was did i see a picture of that where actually people were sat inside a urinal so the, the yeah the um, uh, <laughs> we we challenged ourselves and said okay what is what is a place that people go to every day it's like the toilet okay can we have people after they've been to the experience go to the toilet and always think back about our dinner so is it is it possible to create a five star restaurant in a toilet? Um, and and I think I think yes. So we we dined in the toilet and it was um, amazingly intimate because you were in a small um, yeah toilet. Changing the context to such an extreme um, allows people also to open up and to think differently. And what we've noticed is the conversations that are happening in that intimate space were also very differently. So somehow by recreating the environment, we also recreated an openness to have different types of conversations. I really, really, I really, really love that, actually, because people people often talk about the importance of context. But there are same if you if we go into a, a corporate environment, for example, Typically, people sit around a boardroom table or, or and have a meeting, or they sit now at their desks and have a meeting. And that context is a pattern. And I, from what you are sharing with us, it would appear that that pattern will drive a cultural conversation. So over time, that will become the norm. That's the way you're going to talk to one another. And those are the types of things you're going to talk about. However, if you want to talk about different things or think differently about the same things, one of the most obvious things that you can start to shift is to get curious about what might happen if we have this conversation in in a different context. Uh, so I I think there's a lot. I mean, the obvious joke there is like shift the conversation to the toilet. But the the um, like the <laughs> but the <laughs> to just to completely change our day to day corporate experience. But there is you know people. I think at times underestimate, even as an individual on your day to day, if you want to think differently about a situation, go and sit on, on a mountaintop, go and sit on the hillside. Don't just sit there and fret about it in your bedroom because you need to break that pattern. So I, I love what you shared there because you, we've got the storytelling, the context shift changing as two of your of your superpowers. I think you had another one that you were going to tell us about as well. Oh yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, this is. I think it's the awareness of the thresholds that we have. 
both in live, but also in um, entering a building, but also in starting a meeting. And in, in, in moments of threshold, um, you know, there's, there's something new starting. There's something that we're leaving behind and something that we want to continue. And I think those are sort of um, moments that we passed through without thinking about it or without being aware of it and making people more aware about these threshold moments that can be really small, but they can also be very large, you know, like getting married, for example, or moving a different country. Um, but even when you walk through a door, it sounds silly, like you, you, but that's also a threshold moment. And something changes. It could be the light, could be the height of the ceiling. It could be your mood. Um, it could also be a cue um, to have a mantra. I mean, I'm just thinking of my own experience of like, as I walk into my living room and see my children's toys all over the floor, that is a threshold moment because the mood changes, everything changes in that in that one moment. And, and that will set the course of what's going to happen for, you know, definitely the next 10 minutes. And depending on the state of the mess and the impact on my mood, potentially for a lot longer during that day, but just being conscious of it and curious enough to follow that. I think waking people up to those threshold moments on the day to day is a, a wonderful idea of of helping people get more curious because I don't think a lot of people will necessarily be mindful that each time they walk through a door there's a shift. Which is also okay. Sometimes we just need to rest, but it's just uh, it's a tool that we can use uh, to start seeing things. So, in terms of recapping on on this and coming back here, is there's definitely a sense here. You started with the idea of being able to design your own adventure, and you've given some really good tools here in designing how we can get curious about designing our own daily adventure or, or in even in the stories that we tell, um, the stories we create, the patterns we break, uh, the threshold moments that create change. There's a lot here that the context we put ourselves in can all help shape and create an opportunity for us or a more curious day or adventure that perhaps we haven't yet been on. There's something there for us to change. This is the thing, because now, now like the 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 magic of architect and curiosity is really starting to to emerge here. And we've got one more missing piece of the puzzle. But before we go to Anthony, like Pim, if you were to summarize your role on this in this this partnership, this this friendship that you guys all have uh, for architecting curiosity, what do you see as your archetype, your your superpower? I, I mean, I let me say I, I identify also as the archetypes that both Monica and Anthony identify as. But if I am truly sort of the main archetype, is the architect. So I actually think one of my superpowers is to architect curiosity, which is kind of silly because it, it feels like a silly answer, but I think it's true. That is, it is a superpower because I've studied architecture and there's a lot in sort of the architecting and, and patterns and principles. And then I think curiosity is, is sort of that open mind and, and listening and, and slowing down and connecting different dots, um, offering new perspectives, um, being playful and joyful. So I think 
this is actually the moment that I'm realizing that I could say that that's a superpower. Yeah, one of the things that really clear from that is the there's this level of care, being careful and and purposeful in how you approach curiosity, right? Because as you've been talking, just your mannerisms as well as just being so delicate about thinking about the positioning of a door, and and that curiosity isn't something that you necessarily need to thrash through with brute force. It's taking that step and and moment of reflection and creating space. So that's, this is something that's definitely illuminating for me just the second time talking about this topic. So it's fascinating. And I, and I guess we're coming to where I first learned all about this from is Anthony. So Anthony, let me see if I get this right, because I'm just a little conscious of time, but I also don't want to shortchange yourself. So when we last spoke, a little bit of your background is you grew up in a household where your father was in the FBI, so you moved around a lot. And you got curious as you moved around about how you might change your identity in each time as you set up in a in a new town. Um, your your family is from the Mormon faith, so you learned a lot through this experience and the community and how they um, your community would come together and play games and create a really deep connection. And then you were big movie buff and ended up in film school, ultimately went into starting cu creating, curating design experiences. So you worked at Burning Man, um, you had a big role at the Latitude Society, then went into the wonderful world of corporate consulting from a cultural perspective which makes lots of sense if you listen to the first podcast to go where we go deep on Anthony's background. And then now you are here, our architect in curiosity. Did I miss any of the big things, Dad? Because I don't want to shortchange. Um, no, the, that's for, for the sake of time, I am happy to keep, keep rolling. Um, I do have one thing to add if we do have time, though, but I want to be mindful of time. Um, so last time Pim, Monica and I hung out in person, um, we had a number of, of daily rituals, one of which was, um, uh, a morning yoga practice. And, uh, it's something that I don't think about myself about, but when I'm around other people then I'm like, Oh yeah, that's the thing. So I've practiced yoga since I was 13 and have been trained in various schools of and lineages and have taught for a number of years on and off. Um, and so that's a, that's a part of my identity that I don't think about often. And yet, uh, was reminded of it when I hang out with him and Monica where they're like, Oh yeah, that part. I'm like, okay, thanks for the reminder. Uh, I don't have much more to add to that, but could always tell yoga stories if anyone's ever curious. Well, and also yoga is a massive practice and like illuminates. So you learn about yourself every time you go on the mat, right? So sure. I think it's like yeah. the art of curiosity sort of in, a, in its physical form. Um, sure. So as you learn about your moods and your, of the day and thoughts that are completely hidden that you're supposed to quieten, but they definitely come up to the surface. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, well, I guess, so other than being probably, if you've been practicing yoga since the age of 13, other than a superpower, probably being incredibly strong and flexible, um, what would you say your archetype is on, on, in the team and your superpowers? Um, my 
when we were together, we were actually having this conversation. So it's, it's fascinating that we're having it now. I'm also just reflecting, wow, what a, what an experience of getting to have a front row seat to hearing these two talk. I'm obviously not making it about me right now, which is part of my superpower, um, which is to say that anyone that has the opportunity to have a conversation like this with any kind of partner, whether that's a romantic partner or a business partner, or even just a friend, there's something really magical about having someone interview the relationship. I have heard pieces of these stories, but I've never heard these stories, uh, shared in this way. And I get to learn so much more about these people that I love and feel so much more awe and closeness and connection to them. So my, so what I just did is not make it about myself, which is because I am uh, the magician or the trickster. The magician is sort of on stage waving a hand in one direction while doing something else with the other hand. Uh, the trickster is when the magician is not on stage uh, and just <laughs> going around. <laughs> <laughs> um playing playing tricks uh but for but for good um and uh whatever good means um so that's that's kind of my answer to that question cool. so so i've got the magician so someone who's here to make the magic happen i've got um the architect who's uh, who's building and and creating experience and i've got the 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 seer who's challenging and and moving beyond the norm so um, what an exciting team. I'd love to see how other teams, if people listening, encourage this maybe as an activity uh, to uh, really get to know and label the the art and, and magic that each individual member of a team can bring. And, and this actually brings us to the next section of, of this conversation, which is the power of curiosity in teams. So, Super quick question now before we get onto that is where did the idea for Architect and Curiosity come from? So your pr program um, here to help people live a more curious lifestyle. I'm going to jump in. Um, so I have known Monica for 10 years to actually uh, say it out loud. Monica and I actually went to clairvoyant training together. Um, and, uh, and I have known Pim for five years. Uh, we designed an experience called stone soup along with a bunch of other humans. Um, and, uh, and so I sometimes feel like the nexus point in the triangle and slowly over the last two years, um, that has been dissolving and also forming a more solid kind of triangle. So I would say, um, the short version of the story is, uh, I'm curious why Pim and Monica both kept wanting to hang out with me. <laughs> um, cause they both, uh, have been in my life for a really long time. And I think it's from those relationships of the way in which we have made things in the past that made it a really obvious uh, thing for me to be like, well, these two humans should meet and play. And I wonder what will happen when the three of us are in the room together. So when the three of you were in the room together, were you just like having this idea of an enabling people to and inviting people to get more curious and live with more curiosity? Like what was the spark for that? So obviously, Anthony, you were the spark for the magician, I guess, in terms of bringing you guys together. Where did the idea come from? I know it's always hard to pin that moment. Um, I mean, if, you know, like I, as I am a lot about the, the context, um, at the time, which is two years ago, I was living in California. And also this was a moment in which um, we had a global pandemic 
And I think that context of what is happening with the world was showing a lot of individuals something that, you know, I think in Monica's story, Monica had known for so many years that the certainty about the truth or about things is actually not so certain. So suddenly everyone was living in a world of uncertainty and us being experience designers, uh, patterns seeking seers, um, what might we do? What is a tool that we could use to navigate that uncertainty? And we landed on well, what happens with, wait, curiosity? Oh, huh? Curiosity? And then it sort of like blew in our face and we're like, well, how, what, what, what does that even mean? And then we started sort of our re little research project or not little, we started our research project and um, started discussing amongst ourselves and, and, and trying out with other humans of like, what does it mean? What is it? What is the embodied experience? And why isn't there more research into this? Why are not more people talking about this? And so we thought, okay, well, this is obviously something um, that's powerful and timeless. So um, yeah, it, it gave some both energy and in a context that we believed um, it was something that was missing. And there I'll tag Monica to tell more. The timeless practices that the, the, the two of you that him and Anthony had sort of been playing with, they invited me into that. And, and it was this amazing opportunity to really practice these principles of curiosity. And it was clear that each of us were doing that on our own. And the, the design challenge was really, how do we invite people into that? And so that was this sort of development of the four week uh, follow your curiosity course grew out of that space of uh, co-creating a container with people. And fortunately, because of the technology that's available to us, we can have people from all over the world step into that virtual room with us and play with the principles. Yeah, because I, I guess... I really like hearing that story of where it came from about helping people navigate uncertainty because it, it also comes a little bit to, as you shared that, made me think, Monica, as you shared at the beginning of this, you're kind of mission-based oriented to help create change. And, and now is a time for us all to challenge what we know to be true about the world. Like we, <laughs> you know, the way, the pattern in which we've been living needs to shift and we need to get curious right now and ask ourselves different questions and create space for change. So I, I can see how Architecting Curiosity has a very timely introduction to where we are now as a, as a species, but also something, as you mentioned, of being timeless and that individuals and are always going to find themselves in a space of potentially getting curious or wanting to create change or navigating a, a difficult situation for themselves. So um, architecting curiosity is is a big thing. And we've talked about, and, and Monica has always been very good in these questions of bringing it back to your architecting curiosity principles. But, you know, we haven't been necessarily respectful of those principles yet because we've kind of dived into PIM, Monica, learn more about Anthony, and then also you guys as a leadership team in bringing architecting curiosity to the world. So let's let's talk now 
purely about architecting curiosity. So I know what it is. And people who are listening and Googling at the same time, they probably know more about it. But um, in its essence, how can people experience architecting curiosity? The program. Well, Monica, you always take it back to the project. So this question is for you. Um. Yeah, so Architect and Curiosity, we are a learning community for explorers of new experience who want help navigating uncertainty. So we offer a reconnection to that inner wisdom of curiosity that I was speaking to earlier. Connecting through this embodied framework, which are the principles that I keep referring to during our <laughs> conversation. And those principles that are flexible enough to apply to the questions of our time, whether those are very small personal questions or bigger global existential questions. Uh, it's really an invitation to get curious uh, and to stay curious and to maintain that inner connection with our curiosity in community and the principles allow us to do that and it's a four-week program right so you're you're you start you call it the um, the adventures or the next expeditions you use a much more exciting word than the next program will take place tomorrow and it's four weeks and you cover two principles a week and it's an active practice um where you're given fun homework, essentially, through a really cool app that keeps you on it and keeps you honest as you explore these either small or big questions, because the small questions that you typically ask, in, they have a ripple effect that, the per in my experience, my personal experience, then start to invite you to um, get towards those existential questions, which you, you are there, but you've not perhaps been able to unlock that treasure box before. So four-week program. So yes, that's that's the follow your curiosity course that you're speaking about that um, we were so excited to have you join earlier this year. Uh, and that is our sort of a core a core offering um, that includes this deep dive into the principles in, in community with the app, with these weekly calls with other folks from around the world uh, in an experiential virtual classroom. And beyond that course, we are architecting curiosity. We're just sort of building out more and more. So just wanted to differentiate between the two. Okay, that's great. And I, I think maybe there's some reveals that you have also about how the program's evolving, which I'm, exci I'm excited to hear more about that too. And I guess one of the pieces that you raised about is your obviously this is an invitation for people to get curious. And when I signed up to the to your program. I was curious about it. I was excited to learn from it. And I actually didn't know what to expect when I came in. And it helped me answer a very existential question that I was, I guess I was grappling with, but hadn't really found an opportunity to answer with. I turned 40 next year and for whatever reason seemed to really be <laughs> struggling with this idea. Um, because, you know, one way of looking at it is, well, I've had kids, <laughs> I've got married, um, 
you know, I had a big career highlight. Um, I've lived abroad. The thirties have been great. Like, what are the big life events left for your forties? Um, and and I think through the course, what I realised is that by the time you are um, thirty-eight, nearly thirty-nine, you have uh, the tools at your. You know, you have the innate ability to ask questions and be like humans have been asking questions for millennia, right? <laughs> so you have that. And and then we're going to talk about your principles in one second. You also have the capability to do all of those principles. So really, I felt through doing your course that I am armed to live my most curious life yet, my most curious decade left for 40s to 50s, because I have, I have that capability. And so thank you. <laughs> but... <laughs> one of the the pieces that that made me think of is okay so ha perhaps there's some people listening right and they're like well why do i need to get more curious it we've just talked about the value of being more curious in relationships but you know is there a, a right time or what are some of the benefits that other people might experience through curiosity so can you share a little bit more about the benefits of practicing or living a more curious lifestyle i'll jump in because of the aging the, the aging example that you just shared um there my dad actually joined the course um earlier this year and the conversation that we had about it and my dad who's like over 70. Um, and the conversation that we had about it was reconnecting to purpose, that curiosity is a way to reconnect to your purpose of being alive, especially as you transition beyond these thresholds of what we thought, you know, oh, whether it's turning 40 or retirement or things, new career choices or whatever, if, if the story that you have in your head is, oh, I, I get to a certain point and then whatever, I don't know. That cur curiosity allows you to reconnect to the possibility of that moment of, of being beyond everything that has come before and recognizing what's here with you to stay engaged in your life at whatever stage of life you're at. So there's other benefits, but I'll, I'll, I'll pass it. I really love that actually about reconnecting with purpose with what's, and I think critically said reconnecting with purpose and getting curious about what's here now. Cause some people might be like, I'm, you know, I've finished it. I'm at this particular milestone. Maybe a question might be a more common question might be what's next. Um, but you're actually inviting people not to get curious beyond get too far ahead of themselves essentially and just be curious with what's here in my space now. And, and that can be a great starting point rather than having to, you know, think crazy thoughts about what's my next big life adventure. Right. So it's asking smaller questions, which build. So I love that benefit and I've definitely experienced that benefit. So I guess Pim and Anthony, are there other benefits that you would want to share? I mean, there's, I, there are the benefits are endless, which is why this question is so incredibly hard for me. And I always return to the the difficulty between, you know, selling a course where it's helpful to say, hey, these are the benefits that you're going to get to. But you also just said that you didn't really know 
what you expected from the course. But then at the end, you had so many, uh, or there was this huge one insight and benefit. And I think curiosity is teaching me that there's not really, there's not something to get to, but it's more about practicing it every day, just a little bit, maybe just a little more, or just to have the, that muscle memory to do it in a situation where it actually helped me a lot. Um, so I think, I think it's more about the consistency of training that muscle rather than, oh, after following the course, this is what you're going to get. <laughs> no, or or you're, after following this four-week course, you're inherently just going to be, you can walk around and say, I, I am certified as a curious individual. <laughs> you know, like it's... Exactly, because <laughs> there, there are multiple participants that have expressed the benefits, and yet there are still participants that are having benefits that we didn't expect so I think the honest truth is that I don't know what you're going to get from it, but I know it'll be an awesome journey. And I love that. And I think, you know, again, you know, people do what, you know, the way things are served up now. Okay, if I give you this, what am I going to get? I want to see it. I want to know. I want to be able to tick it off at the end. But I think when you go on an adventure, you don't necessarily know what's going to happen on a day-to-day -day basis, do you? Uh, and I think that's what you're inviting people on is to take up to consciously and safely go on an adventure you don't have to pack a bag and trek to uh, some very far remote place and, and camp and do things that really push your comfort zones but there are things that you can do in your now in your present in your current state and environment that in, invite you to start the adventure and that could that could last four weeks but likely it's going to be um well in my case, it's definitely set out my next 10 years <laughs> and, and, a light, and my daily practice too, which you mentioned, um, and which I'll share a little bit more about when we get onto the principles. So yes, I, I really love that. How about you, Anthony? I think to, to weave these pieces together um, is the, the invitation of stepping into that uncertain adventure, right? The to talk about like what maybe differentiates the way in which architecting curiosity invites study and practice is something in our lives. And so I, as someone who has gone to many dozens of retreats of various kinds, you know, there is something extremely valuable about dropping life as I know it going off into the woods, like we were saying, you know, into the unknown and like sitting, doing meditation or doing some physical activity or, you know, backpacking or something like that. And, and there's some insights that are gained and shifts and everything. And, and I'm not saying that that process isn't valuable. It is extremely valuable. And yet sometimes in, in the past, the, what I have experienced is it can sometimes be difficult to integrate those things into then <laughs> the routine of life where it's like the people and the things, and now I got to go to the job and do the thing. And it's, it's like, it's way easier to be calm and peaceful when I don't have all of life. And Arctic and curiosity invites us to do the same sort of work at a maybe slightly different level. Cause it's not super intense in, in the way a retreat is um, in our lives. And so what I'm so excited by the way that you share that 
change for you, Sam, is like, and what I would point to in one of the ways in which architect and curiosity does its, its invitation to practice is that change is occurring. Like I remember you in class, like dealing with the kids and dealing with work and, and, and having to adjust, like life is not now on pause and I'm doing this thing. It's how to make those changes in the flow of the craziness of life. Because if we zoom out for a second, life is uncertain. It is an adventure yet culture tries to shove it into this very linear box that if you do this at this age and do this at this age and get to here, then the thing, you'll get the thing, you'll get the prize or something like that. And if we zoom out for a second and go like, wait, no, life itself is an uncertain journey. How do I begin to practice being in an uncertain journey all the time? Because <laughs> that's life, then something shifts. Um, so that's my, that's my ramble to hopefully weave it, weave it together. Yeah. And well, actually, it reminds me of um, in your recent newsletter, you kind of framed architecting curiosity as being the playful apprentice. So the idea here of this is something to play with and have fun with and learn from and be open to learning from, which is a daily practice. And this is what I love about your principles. And for those people who are still with us, I'm sure that we are now literally going to give them a prize for being curious about getting this far because we're going to tell them finally what these principles are, right? <laughs> so, and, and what I love about your principles is um, I think you have seven of them. They are things that you can practice on a daily basis and also in a moment. Um, so, I guess we have to ask Monica what the seven principles are. <laughs> Ah, oh, right. Like that would just, it just, that would fit. So let's not be curious about that. Let's just go straight to the source. <laughs> so the first principle is observing. As I speak through them, I just pause and invite us to embody them, right? That's the invitation for us and for the listeners that are still with us. Thanks for being here. Uh, so observing, using all your senses to notice what's around in the moment. What's here? What do you see? What do you hear? Are there any sensations that you notice? Any thoughts or stories? The next principle is suspending. Temporarily being open to the possibility of something new. Is there anything you just observed that might not be true in this moment, that you might suspend your attachment to that story or that belief. Just to, to make that real, whilst you were sharing those first two, because I know you couple those two together in the training, both Pim and Anthony like turned to look out their windows when you invited everyone to observe. Now, my immediate idea was, oh, wow, they're like, because it did the way you said it as well it was very meditative and I was I was ready to start observing too but I was like if I suspend belief sets I could just be like you know a, a negative version of that as Pim and Anthony just checked out for a minute but they didn't you know they were generally <laughs> and they they really were looking out and observing and I practiced that today I was in in the um the line at the supermarket and the woman was having a chat to the women in front of me. My children, going back to, you know, the being a playful apprentice or whatever, my kids are being a nightmare, like um, riding on the shopping cart. This woman's taking a really long time and I just want to get home. 
I was observing a lot and I was feeling a lot about what was observing what was here with me in that moment, which wasn't good. Um, and what I decided to do is say, well, hang on a minute, look out and observe elsewhere. So then I started looking around the shop in a different way and started noticing new stories <laughs> and like suspended beliefs set a bit to invite myself to be like, well, maybe there's a reason why these people have to be talking to each other for so long. Um, but it's just, I think it's a really good example of how practicing a principle like that in a moment that is deeply frustrating and just changing the practice can give a very different experience. So they're not difficult practices, principles to do, but very powerful when you can make space to do it. I mean, <laughs> Sam, wow. Like to answer the previous question you just asked, like the val like what someone gets out of it is the ability in a moment like that. Like that is, that is the thing. What you just shared is the thing. It's that simple. And yet that I am like Pim said earlier, like I am astounded that it's so obvious to me and yet it can be so hard to do. Thank you for sharing that story. It's astounding. But I, I, I guess it brings us to your next couplet. What comes after suspending? Apprenticing. Using your beginner's eyes, mind, and heart to learn by doing. And beyond apprenticing, we have ritualizing intentionally exploring a sequence of activities. We often talk about with apprenticing, we are learning the steps of the dance, or maybe we're just learning to walk again in a new way. And ritualizing, we begin to improvise. We feel the flow of the music as we are engaging with those steps, that intentional exploration of, of the ritual of all things, really. And well, one of the things that I also really took away from other people on the course you had, particularly when it came to ritualizing, was that it actually ritualizing invites you to look at your day in a way that perhaps you don't already, because whether you're conscious of it or not, there tend to be things that are rituals in your day to day, whether that be your coffee at a particular time every morning, um, your sacred yoga session, which is your opportunity to get an hour and a half out of the house. Like, and, and being mindful of those rituals you have, I think is also part of the part of being curious, which is to, to respect them and enjoy them and just be mindful of what you get from those rituals you have on a day-to-day -day basis. It definitely helped me just think differently about, you know, why I have my yoga session that is for me twice a week. It is a ritual. It's something that helps, you know, it got me curious about why it's there. What's it feeding me and why do I do it? And I think that's not necessarily inviting me to be curious and explore something new. It's just inviting me to look at my current state in a different way which is a, I guess, a more immediate curiosity, I guess. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's what it opened up for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
<laughs> really, I should. I wish I'd had a horrible experience because then you know I could come in and challenge, and we'd all violently disagree with each other and create a massive debate about why curiosity isn't the most obvious thing that people should be doing more of. Um, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure you picked the right podcast taste for that. <laughs> um, Sam, having this podcast also to me sounds like a, a curious ritual. A curious ritual for me. Mm -hmm. Yes, I, it is. I've really enjoyed all the ones I've done and particularly the ones that I've done with you guys. Um, but it does, you, you learn so much. I did a podcast with a mentor of mine and he talks about how you can go down to the bookstore and for like 20 bucks buy a book that you're curious about and could have a really big moment for you. Um, something completely illuminating and makes you try something different. And like, why wouldn't you go and spend 20 bucks for that? But to your point about apprenticing, you have to be open to try and go out and do that. And I think a apprenticing and trying something you're curious about doesn't have to be, well, hey, I'm curious about rock climbing or I'm curious about climbing Everest because I am curious about it, but I, I don't particularly want to do that. I don't want to apprentice doing that. And I think that's also something about what you're curious about and what you're, what you're most likely wanting to have a go at whereas apprenticing and trying and going picking up a book I've never read before and giving it a shot that's not a big deal and it's something that I can easily do and could make a big change for me so I think those two are also really great principles so let's go to the next ones maybe these ones are harder <laughs> <laughs> well Sam the way you just spoke about apprenticing I, I feel like really points to the next principle which is gracing acting with beauty love humor and ease right like knowing that it's not about taking yourself too seriously in the practice of curiosity. Like where are there, where is there space for ease of just going and picking up that book that will bring, bring you pleasure, uh, perhaps beauty, perhaps humor, or even love that gracing really brings in, um, a bit of lightness to the practices of these principles of not taking ourselves too seriously. We follow gracing with flowing, moving smoothly and continuously from moment to moment. Anthony was speaking about this earlier with our flowing with Pim's moving back to Europe and that shift in recognizing that things are constantly changing uh, and that that's true always in, in, in all ways, in all areas of life. And so how can we engage in the impermanence and the constant change of things, the lack of certainty of things with curiosity as a practice? Yeah, and I think, Brett, these two really bring up a couple of memories for me, which is um, in when you help teach people what gracing is, because that, you know, it's quite a, a spiritual thing or a very emotional thing. It's hard to, to like, how, you know, my first question when we were going to do that course is like, how are you going to teach that? Um, but it was honestly one of the most eye opening principles for me. Because you had everyone at the very beginning, I think we had to create an object or find a silly object and then later on had to embody that object and become that object and have a conversation 
with um, someone we didn't know who also had an object and essentially the objects had to have a conversation. So if you're a cynic and this isn't something you do every day, you're like, really? <laughs> I, I really have to pretend that I am a bug talking to someone's sweatshirt? Like, really? But then you're, you're you know, then you kind of go into the moment and you're doing it with, with someone and it's, it's silly and it's fun. Well, it depends what type of conversation the bug and the sweatshirt are about to have with one another, but it was, it, it was, it, I, re I realized in moments, I think people on a daily basis probably have a moment where they have to do something they really don't want to do. But if they can open themselves up and take it for what it is and not, you know, suspend judgment and belief set about how they feel about it. They can find that they will have, you will likely have a different experience of it. Right. I thought that was really, really, really powerful. And, um, the impermanence, like the flow, everyone, there's a lot of talk about flow state and going into a flow state to be more productive. Right. I have a very short story that I have to share. So to, to encapsulate flowing, we, we often talk in, in our group about how we are each other's teachers and flowing is one that I feel some skill with, but I saw in a moment, Monica model flowing in a way that like completely blew me away. So we're, it's our first day in Amsterdam for our, for our working retreat this spring. And we're at this Tim's mom's houseboat, which also has a boat. And so we get on this boat and we're going through this sunset canal drive cruise, uh, just looking at the architecture, sing, you know, kind of grounding with each other in this like beautiful moment, sharing memories, getting excited about like the work ahead that we have for the next 10 days. We proceed to step off of the boat onto the house, onto the houseboat. And, and Pim and I are tying up the boat and Monica bends over to like grab one of the ropes or something like that. And I see in slow motion, her cell phone fall out of her jacket pocket into the canal. And I see like the light illuminate and just such a great cinematic moment of like the light fading as I know that the phone is dropping to the bottom of the canal. And we like, we, we get into the house, you know, and there's like some bit of kind of shock. And I watch Monica take like this deep breath. And then there's like, this like, okay, I don't have a phone. Like, like it was just like this, and I don't know if Pim wants to share anything about what he saw in it, but it was just this, like, this is what this, like, I can be stuck in the, the feeling of fuck, like, why don't I have a, it's just like, no, this is the, this is now this moment. Pim, is there anything you want to share or are you just reliving that moment of the phone no, going I down? Was, I, was, I was reliving that moment, um, <laughs> savoring both. <laughs> being on the boat and losing the phone. But I think the phone ties a little bit more into a thought that I was having of the more you have, the more you have to lose. So in order to love more, have more, enjoy more, relax more, we need to sit with or ease with flowing because otherwise you, you might not want more, right? Because it's scary. Because if you get more friendships, if you get more phones, more objects, um, you can only lose them. And that's actually pretty scary. So the more you can embrace the, the flowing and the ending of loves, friendships, lives, objects, um, 
maybe the more you can you can enjoy with what you have and what is similar how monica lost her phone and <laughs> was like this is happening. <laughs> I don't think it would be a good idea for everyone to lose their phone and stop living without mobile phones for a little bit, to be honest. I mean, that that's a, a, a benefit. Um, <laughs> you know, to be, the, the phones have a lot to answer for as, as, as well as a lot to celebrate. But I, I think what you shared there at Prim is just is really beautiful and, and it yeah. really resonates as a mother as well. And I think of all my friends who are mums, like we now, we have more to lose, right? Yeah. And, and, and it, scares the crap out of us on a daily basis and actually drives different behaviors and it's i think it comes to that tension right you have to you have to be curious about making changes yeah i just say you know like the same way that the the principles are flexible enough to to be very small questions or existential questions right like this practice of impermanence can can be something as you know sort of silly and challenging as like dropping your phone in a canal when you're going to be in Europe for 10 more days and don't have a way to replace your phone for until you get back home. Um, that, that, you know, some teachers would say that is the practice of the bigger losses, right? Like for me, it's like you lift, you start with the five pound weights, when you, when you start to weight training. Right. And so it's like, maybe, I mean, and maybe dropping my phone was more like a 20 pound weight. Um, but the practice of being with that and like, okay, I don't have a phone. Okay. This is what that means. I'm losing this thing. I'm losing this connection to these people. Like I couldn't really talk to my partner the whole time I was in, in Amsterdam, except for when Anthony, I could just borrow Anthony's phone, but you know, that that prepares me that all that what the practices I've been doing prior to that moment in embracing change in my own life uh, prepared me for that moment of losing my phone while traveling, which prepares me for that moment of losing a loved one at some point. But there's, you know, there's some skills that you're in terms of, you know, breaking down curiosity here. It's being curious enough to reframe a situation, to look at it differently, observe it differently, suspend belief sets about something differently, and then to do, think, do differently. So try something else, apprentice a new practice, and then over time ritualize it. So the, the reframing, rethinking, um, or and maybe that's what kind of has come up through this example that has, I guess, helped really kind of us capture uh, flowing. And I think the last one is one that is was new actually on the time I did the program is something you've been circling around. And I think is something that we'd all like to do more of, which is rest, right? Your seventh principle. So let's give rest a bit of airtime. Like why did you guys just add it a little bit later on in the process. So there was obviously an aha moment that made you want to put that on the list. And what's its role in a curious lifestyle? Well, first thing is, if we were really to talk about rest, it would be silence, which uh, one of my favorite, one of my favorite radio personalities is a character named Joe Frank, who did New York radio in from the seventies to the like 2010s. And, uh, one was once famous for uh, having a mime perform on radio. 
which for me uh, exactly kind of is the perfect image of like what rest, like it's hard to, to do the thing. So um, the, the way I'll speak to it is in music, there are notes, there's A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Um, and then there's rest. Rest is the silence in between the notes, or it is a more intentional period of silence between the notes. Cause even if I'm playing A to B, there's, you know, there's a little gap, but rest is saying, don't play anything, but it's still, it's still a note. It's that subtle piece. Um, and it's always been around, like it was always there. We just didn't exactly know how to market similar to like making the rest note. It was like, how do we, we knew we wanted to like point to the thing, but we didn't quite know how. So that's my, my contribution. I guess, well, like Pim and, and Monica, what, would you add anything to that? I actually really like the music analogy as well. It's, that's really helpful for me. Um, I mean, a famous architect once said, uh, less is more. And um, I had a hard time accepting that rest needed to be a principle. Um, even though at the beginning of the principles, we've always said, yeah, they are, they're flexible and they might change. I noticed when we were talking about, well, rest might need, need to be a principle, that there was some form of attachment to having six principles and not adding more complexity. But I think the, the rest is such an important one that is an immiscible or immiscible principle um, in the series, almost similar to sleeping, right? We, what is it, 40 or 50%, 40% of our life, we actually are in rest or we are sleeping. And I think the sleeping is, for me, a beautiful metaphor because it's, not doing nothing it's sort of a restoration there's a lot of processes that are going on so resting is also not necessarily doing nothing it's figuring out what are the things that i need to restore or to get back into balance in a way that sleep has naturally or is is naturally doing that to us without actually having to do anything um so I think nature here is, is, is my teacher for rest. Well, I guess, you know, you can't, we've, you've talked on here about this being an adventure. You know, if we make this real about you're like, you're physically walking up a mountain, you can't just keep on going and keep on slogging and keep on going, right? You have to pause, let the body regenerate. And I think also in this sense, as we talk about doing things differently, trying new things, exploring you have to let the memory settle or the experiences settle and see how that fuses together and what you learn um, and how it may even change perspective, right? I, I guess as a swimmer, you would train really hard. You taper. You have a rest period before you go for your performance and your body re-energizes. It cements all that it's been learning. And then when you come to the block, you you get up to perform and the body does what it, you've been training it to do <clears throat> for however many hours in the pool. And the benefit of the rest is you come back stronger. You come back differently. Um, you come back with a reinfigured mindset. So I think, you know, honest, speaking openly about my experience with the rest one, did I do it the way I perhaps should have in terms of what you guys were encouraging me to do? I didn't. I didn't. 
and you know more for me to be honest because I didn't get what the gelling and and allowing the dust to settle and really you know I missed a step of the adventure and um, but that's not to say that I can't you know as we've talked about this is things I can work on and do on a, a daily basis but I share that openly because if people as people listen to this and come towards architecting curiosity there is absolutely zero push or mandatory pull from you guys on making sure that every single question, every piece of the homework, every piece of the experience that you invite us to take has to be done and has to be done in that moment. This is These are skills you're giving to practice um, and to support our ongoing adventure. And I guess one of the other pieces of being on your course is that this isn't a lone journey. Like you're going through this initial experience with people you don't know from all around the world. And I, you know, initially I was like, well, I'm obviously figured out by now that I'm a comfortable sharer. So it wasn't really a big deal for me, but I did see some people on the phone, um, as you invite people to share initially have a fear of not, of not wanting to bring something to table and over the time they opened up. But I guess what's your, the rationale for um, hosting your curiosity program as a community experience with people you don't know in an environment where trust isn't necessarily set up yet, if that makes sense. We don't have those relationships. Like what, what was the thinking behind that and the value that you are looking for people to experience from that? Let's go to Monica. We all have deep skills in facilitation of groups and experience. So resting on our laurels, not really, but, you know, sort of leveraging the skills that we have to invite people into an experience through a virtual space, I think was a really big motivator. You know, we had this app that's really really cool, right? It, it, it gives you an opportunity to engage with the principles, but it's only one piece. And that ability to connect with each other and learn from each other, learn from strangers uh, on the other side of the world. I think that's part of the magic that, that, that we know how to create together, that we've learned more how to create in the duration of building Architecting Curiosity and building this course. But I, I was a really big advocate when we were trying to figure out what that what that offering was going to look like, that the virtual culture space is space that we've thought a lot about uh, collectively. And so how do you invite people into that is a, it's a way to get curious. And I think also to name that this came out of the pandemic. And so getting people together in a virtual room to have an experience that's different than a work meeting or whatever is really valuable, uh, has been really valuable. I don't know if that answered your question. No, it, it really does actually, because it made me reflect on the conversation we've all had here, because essentially it provides a platform for you to share your story about what happened to you specifically that week as you were trying out something you know that other people were and it's and it comes back to the heron essence of of curiosity right is that we all cared to listen to what our someone else's curious experience was and inherently by creating and giving each other the space even though we'd never talked before to most of these people 
we created a, a, a sense of trust. And I know you're con- trying to continue to con- keep this community connected because the learning and the opportunity and the experiences will grow more as that as we learn and share together. And it didn't make sense to me necessarily at the time, um, other than, you know, kind of getting a lot of people in one go. But the Im- richness and the importance of that community feel as you go through this is, I think, really important because otherwise it's a lonely journey, right? So yeah, it perfectly answered the question. And hopefully other people listening can see that too. Thinking of continuing the journey. So as Masters of Curiosity, so you mentioned like the four-week program is only one string to the bow of Architect and Curiosity. You've got other pieces. Obviously, you've got your big research piece that you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, which helped you unlock a little bit more and delve into helping, I guess, establish the principles for curiosity. What's on the agenda now? What's next? What are your curious plans? Announcement time. Um, So at the moment, we are currently developing our first uh, piece of self-guided content. Um, And so we're still playing at this moment in time of whether that self-guided content will exist in a semi-asynchronous digital community container. Um, But... The, the, what we do know is that it will be videos of us facilitating a class of students um, going through a very, uh, I kind of call it like 101, like if the current offering is like a 102 or a 103 level uh, deep dive into the principles, this is a little bit more um, 101 entry level, a little bit more accessible, both from a time standpoint, from a depth of, of inquiry standpoint. Um, and so that those videos are currently in post-production and will be available, fingers crossed, sometime uh, this year when this is being recorded. If someone's listening to this years from now, then it's probably out there. Um, but that's my short kind of highlight of like what it is Great. So if I'm if I'm listening to this, I can interact and engage with Architect and Curiosity by checking out your website, mm-hmm. definitely going on your next expedition, your next four-week adventure. And if I'm not able to participate in that, I can um I can get ready to um start watching the videos that you've created. Yes. And which could be another inroad. And in the meantime, we have uh a number of newsletters and other pieces of content that we engage and we're slowly building out um, some other ways for ongoing community engagement that isn't just coursework. So follow us through whatever LinkedIn, Instagram, but also sign up for our newsletter as that's way that we're kind of helping grow the community at this point. I'm missing any pieces. Well, I guess in the spirit of where this started, I guess we're about 9.30 now, Central European time, and I, I guess about what, like 10 PST. So we've got basically, we've got Sleepy Pim and kind of Wide Awake, uh, Monica and Anthony, right? So I guess if we were to bring this to a close, what would be an invitation that you'd put out there to our listeners to I guess, summarize and inspire action from this conversation. Sleepy Pim's invitation is um, to think about a bedtime story that you really enjoyed when you were young and maybe read it to yourself or to your partner or children. 
just relive that beautiful story that once um, got you to sleep. I love that. I really do. That's great. What about you, Anthony? Yeah. If you just listen to this whole thing in whatever way you can, take a moment of rest. Uh, if that's reading a bedtime story, if that's uh, just not turning on more content to take in, uh, if that's sitting quietly for a moment. But um, yeah, the, the, the idea that you just went on this conversational journey with us that we just did and take a moment to just rest. There's nothing more to, nothing more to figure out or do. Pause. And once you're done resting, whatever point that is, the invitation is to ask yourself, what am I curious about really in this moment, in that moment, in the future? Well, I think that's really wonderful um, food for thought for all of us. I, you know, if it, if it weren't apparent throughout the couple of hours we've been talking, I'm a massive fan. Um, and architecting curiosity continues to impact my daily life. And there's so much value that can be taken from this. So thank you so much for spending so much time with me. I've learned a lot more and really enjoyed sharing the time. And I hope the listeners can take something away from this too and feel curious enough to at least look at the website and get ready to start um, their next adventure. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Sam. Thank you for listening to the Natural Born Thinkers podcast. More information about today's guest and any of the resources shared during a conversation can be found in the podcast show notes. To find out more about Natural Born Thinkers, please visit the Natural Born Thinkers website and follow us on Instagram at Natural Born Thinkers. Today's show was produced by Force 9 Audio and podcast graphics were designed by Carl Gamble. Natural Born Thinkers is at the beginning of its journey and thank you for joining us on this adventure. Until the next time.